So greetings, uh, greetings to everybody who's here as a current student and to uh, returning alumni, distinguished guests. Uh, we have some very distinguished guests uh, here tonight, Clay and Ann Poor, uh, sitting in the back, uh, Princeton alum both, and uh, longtime teammates with us on the PCF staff. Uh, so it's great to have you guys back. We are in the midst of a series, uh, if you've been with us, on our identity as Christians and uh, what the New Testament has to say to us about who we are. And so far we've seen that we are disciples, uh, and we talked about growing in likeness to our teacher, who is Jesus. Uh, we talked about that we are stewards, and uh, as such we've been blessed with uh, a great treasure, uh, the gospel, and with great responsibility in God's world. Uh, that we're brothers and sisters, and uh, as part of that, we, we are therefore called to serve one another in love. And uh, tonight, we're going to talk about the fact that we are heirs. Heirs. Uh, and uh, to get into that, what we believe about our future uh, can be uh, transformative uh, in terms of how we live in the present. And psychologists know this. Um, a person can have all of the, the equipment uh, for success. You can be intelligent, you can be talented, you can have abundant natural ability, uh, you can have skill, but, but still, with all of that, you can, you can be stuck. Um, if this analogy helps, it would, it would be like owning a, a Ferrari uh, and not knowing how to drive. Um, and and what, what psychologists have shown is, uh, and there have been various studies of this, is that hope, and, and in this context, what I mean by hope is a strong and confident expectation of, of positive future outcomes. Psychologists have done studies that show that hope is a critical element, uh, more significant than optimism, which is too vague, uh, or passion, which we hear a lot about, or self-confidence, or they use the term self-efficacy, um, or grit and determination. Uh, hope is a critical element in how people perform. And they've done studies, for example, with athletes uh, who perform, those who have hope perform better than those who might have more natural ability or, or more skill. Uh, they've done studies with academics, with law students, um, and have found that hope is a better predictor of how law students will perform than things like their undergraduate um, GPA or their LSAT scores. Uh, uh, hope motivates all of us uh, powerfully. And most of you have hope. Uh, at, at some level, uh, that's why you get out of bed in the morning. Um, hope matters uh, profoundly, but it also matters what our hope is uh, set upon. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight, because often our hopes are not, I, I don't think, sufficiently grounded. Um, and then uh, what happens is our expectations are frequently disappointed, and over time those expectations often uh, diminish. Um, and so I want to ask you at the outset, 
some of you are more reflective than others, but what is the source of your hope? Um, do you even think about that question? Do you even really know the answer? And you do have hopes that are uh, guiding and governing your actions every day. Uh, what is the source of your hope? And, and I want us to think tonight about how our sense of self, of identity, can be powerfully impacted when we lay a hold of this biblical uh, assertion that we are heirs, and, and that because we are heirs, and we're going to talk about what that means, we have a living hope, a living hope. So if you have a Bible, or uh, we've got the text that will come up here on the screen, I want to read to you just these few verses out of uh, 1 Peter. This is uh, Peter's letter, and he writes in, in the verses 3 through 5, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So this is God's word, and I want to talk about three things as we look at it. First, what I've already said, that, that we are heirs, and then secondly, that when it comes to inheritance, your family matters. And third, knowing your future can impact how you live in the present. So, first of all, we, we have an inheritance. That's right there in, in verse 4. That we've been born again to an inheritance. Uh, we are heirs. And in these verses, what we find is, I believe, and I hope you do too, the, the greatest possible news. And that is uh, the, 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 the story of nothing less, first of all, incredible, of, of a new birth, new life. Notice also the reference to living hope, resurrection from the dead. Uh, the story of new birth, and this is not something, look at the text, it's not something that we accomplish uh, ourselves. It's something that God causes to happen. He caused us to be born again to this living hope through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And also he does this it's, it, it, not because we are worthy of it uh, in, in any sense, but uh, according to his great mercy, it says. Uh, there's no greater manifestation of the, of the love of God than this reality that he takes us from being lost and, and alone, uh, without hope and without God in the world. He takes us from being spiritual orphans, and he rescues us from everything that uh, held us captive, from sin, from slavery, from death. He rescues and delivers us from that. He gives us new life, and he adopts us as part of that, as his own beloved children. And so John, in his first epistle, the Apostle John, will say, do you see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God? 
And so we are. It's like, wow, that's what he's done. And, and concerning this idea of becoming God's child, and this idea that, that I use the word he adopts us as his children, that's not in this text, but it, it, it occurs frequently in the New Testament. Uh, the Anglican uh, pastor, theologian, writer, J.I. Packer, he says this, he says, God adopts us as his beloved children out of a free love, not because our character and record show us to be worthy to bear his name, but despite the fact that they show the very opposite, we are not fit for a place in God's family. The idea of his loving and exalting us sinners as he loves and has exalted the Lord Jesus Christ sounds ludicrous. It sounds wild. Yet that and nothing less than that is what our adoption means. And, and with this idea of, of God adopting us as children, we become heirs. And, and this is the, the, the idea that uh, Peter's talking about when he says we've been born again to an inheritance. Uh, over in Paul's letter to the Galatians, he writes this, when the, when the proper or the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the, the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. And that language, adoption to sonship, is legal language that refers to the change of status that God confers upon us. Paul goes on, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. And so, Paul writes, you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. God has caused us to be born again to a living hope, to an inheritance. And so we, we have great expectations. When, when God redeems us, when he saves us, whatever language you want to use, it's to a new status, a new relationship, a new standing. When we are born Again, it is into a family, it is into God's family as a beloved child, and as his beloved children, we stand to receive an extraordinary inheritance, which Peter describes as a, as a living hope, something that is kept for us. It is real. It is, it is not just a, an imagination or a dream. And, and, when we begin to believe that I am an heir of God, I have an inheritance waiting for me. That is a, is a, is a transformative uh, perspective when we begin to understand it and embrace it. And, and that leads to, to the second point, which is that your family matters. Your family matters. We, we can certainly easily imagine uh, on, the, on the merely human level that being someone's heir might not mean very much. Um, there are many stories uh, that we could tell of parents who, for whatever reasons, uh, whether it would be mere uh, poverty or out of various forms of uh, neglect, or, or even out of malice. Uh, many parents who might die and leave 
nothing to their children. And, and in terms of things like wealth, I mean, perhaps some of you in the room tonight come from uh, wealthy families. Your family is well off, but, but then maybe there's going to be a great financial crisis, and it's going to wipe away all of that, all of that, all of that wealth. And, um, or maybe for some of you, that perhaps your, your beloved parents live well into their 80s and into their 90s, and, and perhaps whatever inheritance you might have received from them materially, well, that all gets uh, uh, depleted uh, out of uh, uh, the, their necessary resources before they die. On the human level, these things are uncertain. Um, after my mother's death, uh, my father remarried uh, to a very different sort of person uh, than my mom, and so my, my brother and sister and I uh, this was this was traumatic for us. Uh, all of the emotional security that we had enjoyed uh, while our mom was living was suddenly uh, stripped away, and now there's this other person uh, who my dad is with, who seemed, among other things, to to take great kind of glee in saying things like, "Your father and I are spending your inheritance." I mean, they had that kind of bumper sticker on their on their RV. You know, we're spending our kids' inheritance, and um, so there's. I guess what I'm saying is, you know, your your family matters. Uh, on a figurative level, if if you were to say take over a position or a responsibility that had been poorly managed by your predecessor, you know, have what. You might react by saying, well, I inherited a real mess, right? And that's why I say family matters. You might be an heir, but an heir of, of what? And what Peter is telling us, what the scripture is telling us, is that when we become members of, of God's family, who is it who holds that inheritance for us? It is God. And, and what does God own? He owns everything. The inheritance that, that God uh, promises us is, is amazing. It is, it is life from the dead. It is salvation. It is fullness in his presence, uh, fullness of joy in his presence forevermore. He offers us nothing less than himself. Your father who holds an inheritance for you is none less than the living God. And, and therefore... We can, we can know with a kind of assurance that we can't know about, say, an earthly inheritance. We can know that this inheritance that God has for us is not going to disappear. It's not going to get spent. It's not going to evaporate. It's not going to diminish uh, to nothing. I mean, look again at the language of the text. God not only brings us in, into this new relationship as children and heirs, but he wants to assure us that what he has promised will not perish, and, and it will not fade away. And so, and so look at the language that says it is kept in heaven for you. God keeps it. He reserves it. He, he guards it for us. It is secure. It is certain. And then, not only that, but this is in some ways even more remarkable. Look there in verse 5. He also said, 
that by God's power, you, that is we, who are the heirs, are being guarded through faith for this salvation ready to be revealed. God guards us for it. And that, that word means, you know, as you might imagine, to protect uh, by a military guard, to pre prevent a hostile invasion, or figuratively, it may mean to, to watch and guard, to preserve somebody, to attain something. And Peter is telling us here that God is not only going to make sure that the promised inheritance doesn't disappear, he's also going to make sure that we don't fail to receive it. And I, I think those are amazing statements. And you know, some of us may doubt the first of those, because perhaps we're not sure that God is really there, and therefore we're not sure that we can trust him and believe these promises. But some of us may worry more about the second, because we know our own weakness. But the text assures us on both counts that God is trustworthy, he is faithful, and he is, loves us so much that he's going to guard us through faith so that we will receive what he has promised. And, and so the text is telling us that we, our, our, our inheritance, it's, it's great, it is secure, it is eternal. And that brings us, I think, to the third thing, which is that knowing this future can, can dramatically impact my sense of identity now and how I live now. And I want to just talk about two implications of that. You know, if, if we say, Christian, who are you? Well, I am an heir. I have a great inheritance kept for me. How might this impact how you're living today? And I would suggest two things. First, that knowing that I am an heir of God might lead me to worship, to worship him. Did you notice how Peter begins this section, his first words uh, out of his mouth? He doesn't tell us to do anything. He starts by saying, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the language of worship, the language of praise, and he just goes right into it. He just goes right into it. God is amazing. Praise him for what he has done by his mercy. And the more we come to understand what God has done for us in Christ, that he has shown us mercy in our helplessness, that he's shown us grace in our unworthiness, that he has demonstrated such love for us at such great cost. God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that Christ died for us. He has made such amazing promises to us that, that I have an inheritance for you. How can we know and understand these things and not uh, be moved to praise? How, how can we keep from singing? How can we keep from saying, thank you, God, blessed be your name? And, and yet, is, is that kind of worship? Is that characteristic of who you are? Are you reflecting upon God's great and precious promises? Do you even know them well enough that, that it moves you? And, and are you reminding yourself of them so that you are moved daily to have this kind of response of worship in the present to the God of promise? And, and then secondly, knowing 
that I'm not only a beloved child, but that I'm also an heir. Well, this could result in a changed perspective on my present circumstances. I mean, right, most of us spend a lot of time and emotional energy focused on the, the, near, the near goals and then maybe the intermediate future. Things like working hard on this problem set so that I can pass the course maybe or get a good grade in this course so that I can get into grad school so that I can... Or, or maybe, uh, well, right now I'm focused on finding a girlfriend, or at least a girlfriend who will talk to me, uh, <laughs> uh, or a boyfriend, so that then maybe I can get married and have a family. Because we're, we're focused very much on the, the temporal realm. But, but, but you know, and maybe you don't know yet, but you will know that inevitably, even, even if things turn out as hoped in the temporal realm, it's just not as good as you imagined it would be. And I hate to disappoint you. Uh, but, you know, is that all there is? Wow, I thought, I thought this would really satisfy me, but it feels a little empty. I thought this would really satisfy me, but, but no. Or, or maybe, maybe it's, yes, I got the job, but I hate it. <laughs> I, I got the job, but I can't stand my boss. Or... Or maybe it's, I found a wonderful wife, but now she has cancer. Um, and everywhere, everywhere, we encounter the fallenness of life and of, of, the, of the, the realm in which we live. And, and those intermediate hopes, we find out, are fragile. Uh, and they can be dashed, and they can be utterly disappointed. Uh, so often our hopes, in other words, are focused and fixed on the near, on what we hope to, to receive from people or circumstances, and things that are fallen or things that are fleeting and things that are destined to fall short. And, you know, with this play tonight, I had to quote C.S. Lewis. Um, C.S. Lewis highlights these misguided desires in one of his most famous sermons called The Weight of Glory. Some of you know this. But he, he writes this, he says, We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And what our text tonight is telling us is that God offers us a joyous expectation that can transcend and transform your present circumstances. Knowing your future, knowing that you are an heir of God, can help you in the present. And here's, here's one concrete way. Just go to the, the next verse, which we didn't read. Verse 6, and see what he says there. Notice, in this you rejoice. Even though now, for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Well, what is the this there? It is this great salvation. It is this unfading hope. It is this inheritance. In this, Peter says, in your hope, you rejoice, even though now, in your circumstances, you have been grieved. And what he's saying is that when the greatness of God's promises really gets down in, into our hearts and our souls. It begins to change the way we receive 
and the way we react to our circumstances. It changes our outlook, and in the, in the best of ways, some things that used to matter to us a great deal, some things that we used to look to for our hope, for our security, those things begin to matter to us less. It doesn't mean we don't still enjoy them, but we don't look to them as the ultimate. And, and because I stop looking to these temporal things for my security or my sense of identity or for my fulfillment in the same way I used to, uh, I, I'm not, my, my sense of self is not always something that's fragile and uh, at, at risk. And then there are other things that begin to matter to us more. More when we realize that this present world in its present condition is passing away, but what is eternal, that is what is real. Because I believe that some things do last forever, that some things will never disappoint, that I have a Father in Heaven who is faithful, that even when all else fails, He remains faithful, that I have a living hope. In other words, what Peter is saying is that because I have hope, I can rejoice now, even when I'm grieved, even when I'm afflicted. God has changed my sense of who I am, and he's, he's changing the way I respond to, to my life uh, circumstances, and even to the people around me who may hurt me or disappoint me. This is a transforming hope, and... And as with all these other aspects of our identity, when we really begin to understand who God is telling us that we are, it begins to change us uh, in, in the present. And so, as, as you know, to, to close, we come to the end of this section, and Peter moves from praising God, uh, blessing Him uh, for this great salvation. And moves right into an exhortation. And it's basically an exhortation to be who God tells you you are. It, it's, it, it, it's calling us to live in this new reality. And so he says, therefore, preparing your minds, this is verse 13, preparing your minds for action. He basically says, get ready. Uh, and being sober-minded, clear your head, think clearly, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ comes, when he returns, set your hope on that. And then he goes on to tell you how, how you ought to live. And you can read that for yourself. But he's basically saying, let this hope now be what guides you in terms of how you live now. We are heirs of the Father. We have a great great expectation, a great inheritance laid up for us in Christ. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these great promises, for this great hope that you have set before us, for your great mercy and your great faithfulness. And I pray that you will fill each person here with all joy and with all peace as we trust in you, that we may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit, through Jesus Christ, and to your glory. Amen.